Welcome to the Workplace Happiness Podcast, brought to you by me, Mark Price, and my platform, Engaging Works, designed to help you be happier at work. Having been the boss of Waitrose for many years and working within the John Lewis Partnership, I became interested in the way that we work, how being happy at work can not only transform an individual's life, but how it can also transform an organisation. So my mission is to get the world a little bit happier at work. In doing so, I've created a happiness survey, which measures and then compares to others how happy you are at work. It's free to take, and you can find out about it at engaging.works. In the Workplace Happiness podcast, I'll be speaking to people from all walks of life about how they work and their happiness at work. From people who've had career changes to entrepreneurs who forge their own career paths. It's all about happiness and how we recognise this happiness at work and all get a little bit happier. Hello, today I'm talking to Hannah Whitten, online creator, author and also the UK's leading advocate when it comes to healthy relationships, sex and body image. Hannah has written two books, Doing It, and also The Hormone Diaries. She has a successful podcast series called Doing It, and also has a YouTube series on her Hormone Diaries books. Hannah, tell me, you have created this space for yourself in the UK as being a leading advocate on healthy relationships, sex, and on body image. Um, So where did that interest first start for you? (laughs) Um, what a question. Um, so I, it's really tricky to like pinpoint the exact beginning of it. Um, obviously I, so I started out making YouTube videos. And so the beginning of that was in 2011 and I started making videos very much as someone who was a fan of, of, uh, vloggers and just really, um, was drawn to the community online of, video makers and so started making my own videos in order to kind of be a part of that community and then it was a bit later down the line that I started making sex ed videos um and that was because some of a lot of the content that I was watching online was also like sex education I was 19 and this was like I was learning so much like it made me realize how much my school sex ed had missed out um it was just a subject area that I was really interested in Um, And I knew that I was really um, curious about it, but also I was really comfortable talking about it. There wasn't a lot that embarrassed me and I don't really know where that came from. (laughs) Um, So that was when you were at university and you you were reading history at university. Yeah, yeah. So I was just doing YouTube videos as like a hobby on the side of of uni. Um, But then it kind of quite nicely came together because when you study history you can literally study the history of anything so I there was a module that I did in my second year that was available from one of the um tutors which was about the history of sex in the 20th century and I was like oh my goodness um and so I took that module and then when it came to my third year um I focused my like dissertation on uh like late 19th century sexology and there was another module that was available that was on the history of homosexuality um which was so fascinating um so i kind of just molded my history degree around the history of sex 
And so was your thought then that when you left university, you would make a career out of being um, an advocate in sex education, healthy relationships, body image? Did you think, oh, there's a, there's a job I can do here? How, how did it evolve into something you now spend your life doing? <laughs> um, I think it was, it was in maybe second or third year that I started to earn like a small amount of money from making YouTube videos, whether that was from AdSense on, on YouTube or from like doing presenting jobs and like hosting videos for other people and things. Um, and it was very much like pocket money. It was like a little part-time job side hustle kind of thing. Um, and I, by that point I was really involved in like the UK YouTube community. I was traveling to London regularly to go to events and, but also just to socialize with people. Um, so by the time I graduated, I'd, I already had this like picture in my head of other people who were making a living from, um, making content online. And it was something that I was just like, well, <laughs> when you're, when you're 20, how old was I? 22, I think. And you know, when you're 22 and you've just graduated uni, like that's a time to take risks. And so I was just like, I'm going to move to London. So I moved to London and, um, basically put, I had more time obviously. So I kind of like threw myself fully into making online content, doing sex education, I had a part-time job for like almost a year to balance all of that. Going back, when, when you were at school, would you say there that you had a, a creative side? Were you interested in art or content or I'd never would have said I was interested in art. I was, I was bad at art, <laughs> not good. But um, drama was my thing. I, I guess like my main subjects I was like really interested in were history, maths and drama. I, they all seem like quite different. Um, but I think um, the putting myself in front of a camera, I think, I think, because I was so used to like doing school plays and, you know, love being the center of attention. <laughs> so I think that kind of thing came very, very naturally to me. And also, um, I've always, I've always loved, um, like explaining things to people and like, and breaking things down and teaching them. And I think if I hadn't fallen into the YouTube thing, like teaching might have been, a career that I would have like gone down because I just I felt like I was naturally I naturally really enjoyed like breaking down um concepts for people and um ex explaining them and and stuff because I remember like I was always like really good at maths just naturally like would get concepts like really quite quickly and I really enjoyed explaining it to my friends who weren't picking it up as quick as me and me like slowing it down and, and breaking it down for them so I think that's the kind of Thing with the sex education that I do as well like it's a form of of teaching and explaining concepts and 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 breaking things down for um to make it accessible for people to understand and then I'm sure there are lots of people who'll be listening to this podcast Hannah who'll be thinking to themselves oh I, I quite like the idea of being uh, a youtuber and <laughs> yeah I quite like the idea of having half a million and more followers so what advice would you give them thinking back now to how you got into it nine years ago? Yeah, I, th I think there's multiple routes that you can take that 
at least now there is in, in like 2020 um because when i first started it was very much just like oh you just do it for fun and like you just like film yourself and make these like weird little videos um <clears throat> but now i think like if you want to do it as a hobby and you want to engage in a community there's like people making videos about topic that you're like really interested in and you want to contribute your voice to that discussion then that's like one where it's like pure hobby pure fun pure like community for you but then there's another way like so it just depends on like what your reasoning for it is and like what your why is the other route that you could go down is you um have a business already and you want to incorporate like youtube videos and, and a video like content strategy into that business um which requires a whole different thought process to like the first option um or you could actually go into it as like i want to become a uh, a professional youtuber as someone who like um is maybe like a personality based channel or you could be like, I have lots of knowledge in this area and I want to share it online or I'm an animator and I want to like put my work somewhere. Like, are you using YouTube as a community just purely as a video hosting site? Like there's so many different things. It just, it comes down to like figuring out why you want to do it and then working out what, which is the best route for you to take. And is it worth people just getting something out there just to start 100 percent. i think it's always still really valuable to understand the process from coming up with an idea for a video to that video being published um just to kind of get your hands around like cameras um microphones talking to a camera if that's going to be part of like what you do in, in your videos um and then also just like the back end of YouTube, like navigating that, just just like having a play around with it, having a fiddle. Um, I always say to people who like want to start, but feel awkward, like talking in front of a camera, I just say to them to like use um, like Instagram stories as practice, just like literally, or just when you're like video calling your friends or like sending sending videos to friends of, of you just chatting into the camera, like use those things just to practice. Um, you don't have to like post anything anywhere you know you <laughs> and, and then going back to your first year you leave university uh you move to london you decide that you want to pursue the career that you have now mm -hmm. um to build your following on youtube <laughs> uh you work part-time for a year what were you doing part-time so i started out doing catering <laughs> do like a catering agency where you could just, like select your shifts um uh luckily um i actually got a job fairly quickly at um this youth charity who i'd previously um done like a, a a series of videos for they'd hired me to like create a series of videos for them and then they um wanted to hire me in-house two days a week um to create uh video content for them so um they're a youth youth charity and, and they they covered a lot of stuff so including sex and relationships so that was great for me um but then also things like mental health uh school work housing um just like anything that um could affect young people basically um yeah so i was coming up with ideas for their youtube channel writing scripts and uh hosting uh those videos and stuff so um 
that was a great gig to have two days a week because it was basically like doing what I was doing. Um, it was um, guaranteed income for me to help like support everything else that I was doing. And then you made the step to be totally self-sufficient. Yeah. I got to the point where with the work that I was doing on my own YouTube channel, I needed those two days because I was, I just had, there was just so much um, that I was doing and I, I knew that I wanted to like keep building it and keep like making content and start new projects. And I was like, I need, I need those two days in order to like be able to, um, do other things. Um, and I'd built what I had to a point where it was financially stable. If I stopped doing those two days at the charity. And, and how did that feel? Cause then you've been at university with loads of people. You, uh, had at least two days working with other people at the charity. Now, now you're on your own building mm -hmm. a business. So mm -hmm. What did that feel like? To be honest, at the beginning, I I thought it was really similar to being a student. Um, although I was a I was a very good student. <laughs> I showed up to all my lectures. <laughs> um, but it based, the reason why I feel like it was it was very studenty was because you might have some meetings, you might have some filming that you're doing with other people. So there'll be like the odd thing in your diary where like you actually have to be somewhere. And then the rest of your time is your own. And it's up to you how much work you put in, when you do the work, what the work is. Um, so it didn't really feel that different for me um, from what I'd just come from. Um, but I was getting paid rather than paying <laughs> and 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 then along your journey you you've written two books you're a successful author yeah. uh you've written doing it uh and you've written the hormone diaries yeah so let's just talk about those those books for for a moment so um what would you draw out from the two books let's let's talk about doing it first Mm. What are the lessons from doing it? If people were, if you were encouraging people now to go and read your book, why should they read doing it? <laughs> um, I think it's just um, a really great um, overview, and and then and also just stories about sex and relationships, just um, covering everything from healthy relationships to porn, masturbation. Um, it really that book really was for me like an amalgamation of everything that I'd learned up until the point where I wrote it and it just felt like a massive like offload like brain dump of like here is everything um I think I think it should be in school libraries genuinely <laughs> and what what sort of age group did you target it for did you have an age group in mind so it's it's YA um so it's young adult it's officially like aimed at uh, or like the youngest age is like 14 so it's like officially aimed at 14 plus um but i was 24 or 25 when i wrote it i think and so it still felt really relevant to me at that age as well um and people people come to um to different topics in sex and relationships at all sorts of ages um and sex education isn't something that happens when you're like 
12 and then like you're done for life like there, there there is sex education like throughout your life through through all different ages um so yeah and it depends on, on like your background as well like you know there might be a 14 year old who reads it just being like i know this but then there might be like a 30 year old who reads it going oh i didn't realize that yeah and and then in terms of um uh the the sort of the background for writing it you were saying that you didn't feel that sex education was covered uh that well in schools and that was one of the reasons that you uh started to want to do more so yeah talk a little about that why why didn't you think it was or why don't you think it's been done well and what does your book hope to try to do that you think's missing well so i had some sex ed in school um but the more i i learned about um sex and relationships and sex positivity the more i realized just like how basic it was how lgbt stuff just wasn't covered at all um how a lot of it was really quite fear-mongering especially around stis and just really um like perpetuating the stigma um around it like nothing about healthy relationships and actually how to you know like relate to yourself and build self-esteem and resilience and all of these things um so for me like writing doing it was like this is what all young people should learn and and like and this is the information that they need and deserve access to um i don't really think it's the fault of schools though like teachers oh my goodness they have so <laughs> so much to worry about um but there's definitely a failing in this education system um that means that sex and relationships is is just an afterthought and um teachers aren't given adequate resources or training in order to be able to um deal with like sensitive topics um obviously it's now going to be compulsory from september which is really exciting um but even but even then it's not really clear you know if one school uh takes it really seriously and has like a sex ed um, sex and relationships class like every other week and they like really you know go into the topics and allow space for like conversation um and critical thinking amongst the students but then another class another school might just do an afternoon once a year and go right box ticked done um so it's not clear how effective it's going to be but it's a you, step and you You've now got your weekly podcast, so the Doing It podcast yeah. goes out every Wednesday. Yes. Um, and you've got a good audience for that. So the, the not, the, I suppose the, the really constructive thing is not only have you got a book to help, but also you've got a, a series that's going out continually to try and help support uh, young people coming um, uh, to understand their sexuality. Yeah, the, the podcast is um just much more like deep diving into loads of different topics and it might be a bit more adult um because it's definitely not like here's the basics if you're learning stuff for the first time um but it it, it cover it definitely covers a lot of of different topics and it, and it's almost like these these are discussions that um there should be room for them in young people's lives um 
because sex isn't something to be scared of and a lot of young people can be very interested in it as a subject but not interested in like doing it themselves you know like though I feel like those two things are very are very different um but a lot of people get scared and think it's like they're they're the same thing um but yeah with the podcast it's great it's, it's a great excuse for me to like uh talk to really interesting people who have um certain like experiences or expertise in different uh areas and, and then your second book the hormone diaries yeah led on from your um youtube uh channel programming mm. so so just talk uh, a little to our listeners about the hormone diaries and what um brought you to write that and what they can learn from that yeah so the hormone diaries started as a series on my youtube channel that was very much like I'm going on a personal journey, let me take you along. Um, when I came off the pill, the contraceptive pill that I'd been on for seven years. Um, so I'd been on it since I was 17. And I basically just documented the process of um, what happened. Like during those seven years that I was on the pill, I didn't have a period. So I um, talked about how my period came back different PMS symptoms that I was experiencing for the first time since I was 17 um, talking about uh, le learning about other contraception, learning about other um, menstrual products. Um, yeah. And just like really just taking people along for the journey. And it, it was, it was really um, popular. People really like resonated with it. Um, I think I accidentally like just hit this cultural moment of, people um being like hmm, what is this pill that i'm putting in my body like um not that there's anything wrong with that but um just being like hey we should ask more questions and like actually understand more about contraception um ourselves if we're going to be using it and taking it um yeah so i i did that series for a while and then um i basically wanted to do um a book of the same name that was going to be like less about my personal journey and it, about other people's and so the everyone has their own like hormone diaries so so the hormone diaries book is very much like a period and contraception like handbook so it's got all of the information in there which isn't is wasn't necessarily covered in the series because the series was like this is what's happening to me and then the book is like okay here's like here's the information here's here's some facts um but then interspliced with um other people's stories and like dear diary-esque um like yeah moments of like dear my pill dear my <laughs> dear my tampon <laughs> They've been hugely helpful for people. Um, and clearly you're a very talented broadcaster and presenter um, from both listening to your podcast and, and watching you on YouTube. Um, but how did you find writing? Uh, how did you find sitting down and constructing two books? Hard. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the last time that I'd done any writing before I started doing it was my dissertation at uni and so it's very different um I just I don't to be honest like 
it's really tricky to know like how I did it. I'm just like, somehow I did. Um, but it's a really different um, experience. And it's, I think it's something that actually is like, yes, I'm, I can say like, I'm a two time author and uh, I, you know, I sat down and I like wrote these books, but I think writing is the thing that comes the least naturally to me. Um, so it's something that I have to really just focus on and um, kind of like clear my diary and basically just not really take on any other projects at the time. Cause it's like, no, this is what I'm doing for the next few months. Like this is, this is the thing. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's a weird one. What, what I was never told about writing before, and obviously it's different for everyone. Um, but I just assumed that people who are writers just like wrote all day. Um, but I couldn't like, I, I could maybe do like three or four hours of writing and then your brain is just like, Whoa, <laughs> that you write, is it. You write best in the morning or the afternoon. Or morning. The... Yeah. So, but I've always been a morning person. So I need to get like my work that requires like focus and concentration um, done in the morning really. Um, yeah. So it's just, would write in the morning and then in the afternoons I knew my brain would just like not be able to write but then I also knew that I didn't want to like spend my afternoons just as a potato um like watching <laughs> Netflix and stuff so it was always trying to find like other bits of work that I could do that wasn't as draining but I could still feel um feel productive but I hate that, like, oh, I got to, you know, hustle culture, like, got to feel productive. But I knew that if I um, still was using my brain, but in a different way in the afternoon, then it would actually help me the next morning rather so than... What, what was it that you did, Hannah? What was the secret thing you found <laughs> to do? I'm trying to remember. I think I probably, like, did cooking, like, cooked lunch. Um reading um I think I occasionally would also just have like um other things that I needed to do in terms of like the YouTube channel and videos so it's just kind of like those little bitty tasks where like you're still plugged in and working but you're not having to like spend all of your big energy <laughs> and, and uh we're obviously talking in the middle of the COVID-19 lockdown. Yes. So, so just describe to me what a normal, inverted commas, day looks like for somebody who is a famous YouTuber, author, <laughs> uh, etc. So what, what's a normal day like for you? Or what was a normal day? Oh man, my, my routine has been changing every week because I'm just trying to, you know, figure out what's best for me. But at the moment, what I'm doing is I go for a walk in the mornings or a run um although today I didn't so what's the what is routine um but yeah a run or a walk in the morning and then come back and do some like pilates or something to stretch it out um and then I get ready for the day and then it really depends on what I'm doing I might be doing some remote podcast recordings I might be filming um filming is something that i always have to do in the morning um because of the brain thing but also because of the direction of the sun <laughs> in my flat um 
and then my partner's also working from home now so we'll probably have lunch together and then more working in the afternoon a lot of phone calls a lot of zoom calls and, and um, how does that differ hannah from what you were doing pre-covid lockdown things are definitely quieter from in in my work like i'm less busy so i'm actually finding myself starting work later and finishing work earlier and in that extra time that i have i am reading i am um you know just like catching up on shows or you know doing my walk or whatever um so yeah it's it's a weird one I, I feel like I've got a little bit of a routine but um I'm also just like you know you gotta just take each day as it comes really <laughs> and, and tell me what what do you least like about being locked down oh um I think it's just not uh seeing other people <laughs> um obviously like video calls are really really great but um just especially with the weather being so nice um just wanting to like go outside and sit in a beer garden with some friends <laughs> and, and what what do you most like about the lockdown what's the positive thing about it for you um i i really like how because the whole world is on standstill it's basically removed all expectations and i think that um before i was always just like running on meeting other people's expectations and or like stressing about how do i politely turn someone down because in and having like you know like oh we need this from you we need this from you we need this from you and then suddenly all of that is gone <laughs> And I love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, yeah, just uh, at, at this time, I think no one expects anything from you other than for you to stay inside. And I'm like, done. <laughs> and then you've taken the Engaging Works Workplace Happiness Survey. Yes. Uh, and the, the global average is 65%. Oh, I got higher. Um, uh, well, I was going to say, you have, talking to you, you seem very happy with <laughs> what you're doing. So yeah. Um, for all of our listeners, what did you score? I think it was like 78% or something. Well done. Yeah. And what is it about your life, your work, that you most enjoy? What makes you happiest at work? I think it's twofold. It's um, being in control um, and basically um, being the decision maker of what projects I work on and how much time I spend on them and um what i do with my time and what i do with my day i think that is a big factor in my work happiness and then also knowing that i'm actually um doing good and, and making a difference in people's lives so the thing is like those two things it's like the impact that i'm having but then also just the structure of it as well and in taking the survey was there anything you reflected on that you'd like to improve on, develop to make you even happier? I think, that, <laughs> I think the one question that I scored the lowest on, that I put the lowest was uh, stress, because my job does stress me out a lot. <laughs> and and um, talk to us about that. What, why do you feel, because a lot of people would look at your life, Hannah, and they'd see you making these um, amazing uh, YouTube videos, they'd see your books, so, and, and the control that you have over yeah. your eyes. What, what is it about 
the way you work and the life you have that, that would make you feel most stressed? So I think um, obviously every job has got its own stress factors to it. So I, um, I think there's, there's always an element of that. Like I have deadlines. Um, so that naturally like might be a, a, a stress thing for you or, um, or a motivator, (laughs) you never know. Um, but then I think the things that are unique to being someone who is, um, a YouTuber and, and like online and stuff is that a lot of, um, a lot of the weight that is put on success and I'm doing that in like inverted commas, um, is, is down to things that we have no control over. So I think for me personally, I get really stressed when I feel like I can't control something and things that I can't control are other people's opinions of me. Can't control that. And when you have tens, hundreds of thousands of people who all have opinions about you and your lifestyle and, um, your life choices, that is just a lot sometimes. Um, you never feel like you're doing anything right. Um, kind of like, like I was saying about this expectations, you've got expectations from everywhere, but, um, it is, it's just insurmountable number of people who have, um, expectations of you but then also this like entitlement to tell you how to live your life sometimes um and then the other thing is is the the other things that i don't really have control over is things like youtube algorithms instagram algorithms and and basically like how well my content performs and the stress of worrying about those things and then also worrying, stressing out about the fact that you are stressing out about it because there'll be people out there who are so pure and are just like, oh, I don't care about the numbers. And I'm, and I'm just like, no, BS. <laughs> like when it's your job, you, there is an element of you where you have to care about the numbers because that is your livelihood. And I have, um, I've got, people who I employ and I pay and so like if you know there's less views or there's less whatever then I I have to think about like can I pay my editor can I pay my assistant you know so I don't know now I feel like I'm complaining about my job (laughs) but I I think the point that you made which I think is absolutely right is everybody has stress in their job to one level or another Mm. some people and just manage it in a different way so when when you're when you feel yourself feeling stressed what what do you do how do you try to reduce that solve that um my partner's been a big help <laughs> with this actually he's maybe the most chilled out person i know um and he's really good at like helping me narrow it down to like really the really like if it's like a big thing that i feel really stressed out about he'll help me like narrow it down to be like, okay, what in this scenario do I have control over and what don't I have control over? So the things I do have control over, he's just like, focus on those and, and do your best there. And the things I don't have control over, it's just like, not your problem, (laughs) which is easier said than done. Um, but that has been a a real help sometimes because for me, a lot of, 
some of my like biggest stress moments have been uh when dealing with like other other people or other companies and um you know when you're basically just when you're relying on someone else and maybe they don't get back to you in time or maybe um you know that that you disagree with the feedback or whatever that they've said and and, and so there's just like it, usually most of my stress comes from <laughs> dealing with other people <laughs> which sounds so bad um uh and things being delayed and that not and it not being my fault and me just having to like wait around and like stew in my stress of just like ah. um but yeah <laughs> so but I, I think a lot of people will uh will empathize with yeah uh, i feel like that's with, uh, common in lots of jobs <laughs> I, I think it is and and i think that's really good advice to think about the things you can control and try to let go the things that you can't control i think that's yeah that's really good advice and um, I've, I've got a couple of quick questions uh, to finish, mm. uh, okay? Um, I'd like to ask you, um, is there a piece of music or a song that makes you feel uh, happy? Ooh, um, yes. Um, the, <laughs> one that I've been listening to a lot recently is... Um, from the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, it's the Concerning Hobbits song. So it's the one that like plays at the beginning when they're in the Shire and everyone's so happy and, and no one knows what's about to happen. And um, my, my last question is, if you could nominate one person to talk about their work and their happiness at work mm. and what they do, who, who would it be? Ooh, I would love to know about Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> I'd love to know about his work happiness. I've, I've, in my, my gut feeling is that he's incredibly happy, with, but I would love to hear about the things that stress him out. Okay, on that note, I would just like to thank you, Hannah, for uh, sharing with us your story, how you have become uh, uh, a leading ad uh, advocate and expert um, uh, in your field, which is so important, mm. uh, and helping uh, people get more from their uh, sex relationships uh, and, um, and also for body image. And we haven't talked about feminism, but there's so many great things that you talk about and write about. It's very clear to see that you're happy in all uh, you do. <laughs> yeah. your, um, uh, your workplace happiness score at Engaging Works is 78% certainly proves um, that uh, the facts prove that you're happy. And so I'd just like to thank you very, very much for your time uh, and for being so generous in your insights. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And again, if you want to take control of your workplace happiness, go to engaging.works and take the free happiness survey. See you next time.